KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall with your hosts Corbin Sturch and Zachary Payne. Your vintage radio program here on KUOZ 100.5 FM. Community radio produced by the Radio Television Video Department here at University of the Ozarks in Clarksville, Arkansas. From the concert hall plays some of the famous artists of the past, as well as features a few of our very own from right here at home. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we take you live right here to our very own little concert hall. Hello and, hello and welcome to From the Concert Hall. I am your host, Corbin Sturch. This week, my co-host Zachary Payne is out. He's been sick this weekend, so we decided to give him the night off. Something happening in the community we think everyone should know about. On Tuesday, March 31st, there will be a pancake breakfast hosted by the Lions Club at the First United Methodist Church here in Clarksville. This will go from 6.30 in the morning until about 30 minutes afternoon. It's $5 a person now, or about five fifty at the door. And then, if you have a child who's 12 and under, it's $3 now, or three fifty later. Remember, folks, this is an all-you-can-eat. So, if you'd like to know more, call 479-979-2260. Again, that is 479-979-2260. Now, with us on the show this week, we've got quite a few co-hosts to help us celebrate Fat Tuesday and Mardi Gras. And also talk a bit about Madrigals and Motets. With us, we bring back Kathleen Mowry. Kathleen, tell the folks hi. Hello, this is Katie Mowry on KUOZ 100.5. We also have Chance Sylvie. Hello, this is Chance Sylvie on KUOZ 100.5. And then we also have the Ryan West. Hi, I'm Ryan West. Uh, You can find me on Twitter (laughs) at TheRyanWest. Repeat, at TheRyanWest. Please follow me. (laughs) <laughs> Shameless plug. So, yeah. There. There. No shame. There, there, there it was. <laughs> um, but. Well, can only go uphill from here. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you know, like I said, we're trying to celebrate Fat Tuesday and True Style having a bit of fun here in the studio tonight. So, this week we're talking about magicals and motets. But, you know, I keep mentioning Fat Tuesday. What is that? Well, for all the religious folk out there, Fat Tuesday is the day before Ash Wednesday where you're able to do all those things you won't be able to do during Lent before you actually spend 40 days observing Lent. So, get it all in tonight while you still can. You've only got a few more hours left. So, enjoy it while you can. I'm doing that right now. Uh... I'm giving up caffeine for Lent. Uh, I've had two Red Bulls today, a cup of coffee, another thing of coffee, and I have a thing of tea waiting for me after this. Uh, <laughs> I have an app that tracks my caffeine intake, and it says that I won't be sleeping tonight. So that's exciting. <laughs> uh, yeah. As if you ever had any. <laughs> See... I've been, I, I, normally I give up tea or coffee, but 
How it, do you do that? <laughs> I, I don't know because you know anyone who knows me knows it's only about maybe three pots of coffee on average a day. <laughs> so. It, it, it is. Every time I go to the doctor and draw blood, it just comes out black. <laughs> Are you sure that's not your soul? It, it could be. It's, it's pretty messed up, too. <laughs> oh, but... No, today just has not been a good day for me to have a good Fat Tuesday. I went to lunch today, and I got a glass of tea. You know, sweet tea like I do every day for lunch. Tasted like soap. <laughs> it just... Uh, I, yeah. We're in the South. That's unacceptable. Isn't it, though? It, it just wasn't working for me. And then, after that, I went, to go get a, <laughs> I went to go get a cup of coffee, and they only had decaf. Decaf, according to my caffeine app, has 25, no, it has 2 to 25 milligrams of caffeine. The more you know. <laughs> For some reason, decaf having caffeine feels rather uh, paradoxical. But Well, there's decaf, there's half-calf, and then there's, you oh. know, water, which has no caffeine. So you could go for that if you wanted. Touche. <laughs> 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 but really, if you have no filter for your coffee pot, then you can't put any coffee beans in it, and then you... We'll only have hot water. I see what you did there, Chance. I see what you did. <laughs> Speaking of that, Chance, Ryan, do you want to tell us a bit about the show you've got coming up here on Channel 6? Shameless uh, plug. <laughs> another one. Um, I'm really good at these. Wow. Um, uh, Ozarks After Dark is our new show. It'll be premiering at 9 p.m. on Friday. It's a sketch comedy kind of based along the lines of Saturday Night Live. Um, we've got a couple of skits. Um, so far, so far, we've all we've done them all pre-recorded, and then they'll be rolled back during the show. Um, but hopefully, in the future, there will be some somewhat live stuff um, once we get the show down, you know, really clear, really crisp. And just a side note: if you watch the show, and the whole show on the skits and everything seemed really well put together, but then the parts with me in it seemed really stupid. It's because I made it all up on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a really, really big cast and writing team for this, too. Um, just off the top of my head, um, I'm in it. Um, Alex <laughs> Teagues is in it. Um, Corbin's, Corbin's in, in it. it. Chance is in it. Um, um, Thane Cook, Jeremy Jacobs, Heather Ooh, Tanksley. Um, who else? Phoebe Randall. Um, uh, yeah, we had Phoebe Randall sing some stuff for us. Um, Annie Williams, Samuel Benz are all involved as well. Chloe Welsh. Um, did you see Phoebe in uh, the Patsy Cline? I did, I did. That Holy camoli. I'm really sad I missed that show. I'm a big Patsy Cline fan. Uh, I'm a big Phoebe fan. I'm crazy. Uh, <laughs> I watched that and I was like, I think I just fell in love and I've had to conceal it for the past semester because I don't think she actually knows me. So. <laughs> well, you should watch my show. She'll be singing her new single written by me. Oh, that's right. I will be. All about that bass. All about that bass. About that Starring bass. Bishop Bass. And also <laughs> Bishop the Bass. Oh, yeah. You like that the in there, Ryan. There's another bass. Oh, yeah, there are two Bishop Basses. One of them is Not real. the Bishop Bass that we all know and love, and the other one is a little plastic fish. 
Where, where'd y'all get that? I bought it. A, okay, so here's a story. <laughs> I went to Walmart for coffee creamer. I was walking around if and you, I saw. If you guys don't know, Chance's stories are are amazing. <laughs> They're on fleek. <laughs> on fl- uh, nice. I saw what you did there. <laughs> you you really put yourself in Chance's in his head there during his stories. Anyway, so here I go. So I was walking through and I was like, coffee creamer, check. I need spoons, check. Is that a fishing rod? Do I need a fishing rod? I got. I need a fishing rod. Spider Man, Barbie. Spider-Man, and that's how I got Bishop to pass. Because Spider-Man is the best superhero. Now that he's owned by Marvel again. Yeah. Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, except Batman is the best superhero. Okay, Batman's oh, a Lord. fake. He's a poser. All He's just a rich guy with a lot of toys. Coming from someone who went to a private school, I recognize when someone's only power is wealth. And, and all- that's... Batman. He is really good at using his wealth. And also, he doesn't go with this show because you know why? His parents died at an opera, so they're not down for classical music. Oh. Okay, now going back to classical music. <laughs> Baroque. Yes, we are talking about he the Baroque, Baroque period this week. This began about the 17th century in Rome, Italy, and it's known for its extreme opulence and emotional involvement. And there were some some composers who were that were starting it kind of like transitioning it at like around 1600 1650 but yeah it hit its peak in the 17 the 1700s right one of those main composers we're going to be looking at tonight is actually Claudio Monteverde who is the main composer at least according to musicologists that really ushered in the transition to the baroque musically but in looking at the Baroque, the Baroque word itself actually comes from, from the word um, Baroco or Barococo, meaning imperfect or rough pearl. Uh, I just want to give our listeners a, a second to understand. A visual story. A visual story of what Barococo might be. Uh an unnamed person in this studio has spilt something all over his pants. Uh, let's just take a second to understand how Barococo that was. It was saliva. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of sick here. Yeah. yeah. I'm not feeling so hot. Might have, might have got orange juice on myself. Oops. <laughs> yep. But, you know, take imperfect pearl as you will. But the French, the French word is actually word we you know. Baroque comes from France. It's the word, but it means the same, being imperfect or rough pearl. And it just means that it deals with many details. It goes, it looks at the detail. Heinrich, uh, let's see if I can pronounce this name right. Hmm. Heinrich Wolflin was a wrote a book called Renaissance und Baroque. Uh, it was a movement into mass. What's bad, though, in his book, he actually ignored the last half of the Baroque era, which concerned itself with the academics. <laughs> you know, whenever I say he missed the last half, the Baroque is actually split into th- three sections. The early Baroque, which is from 1590 to 1625, which was that transition from the Renaissance. High Baroque, which is 1625 to 1660, and Late Baroque, which is 1660 to 1725, as it transitioned into the Rococo period. I yeah. just love that word, <laughs> Rococo. I'm always 
try not to say like Rococo Rococo or something. Oh, it sounds like that uh, 180 song Rock Lobster. <laughs> you know, it goes kind of like Rock Lobster. It sounds like Glen Coco. <laughs> Doesn't that's, it? That's None for I'm you, Rococo. <laughs> <laughs> And that's my opinion on Baroque music. <laughs> well, moving on now. Baroque we, music, the college choice, because we have no money. <laughs> now, <laughs> Ka- well, Kathleen, you might actually yes. appreciate this, and some of our theatrical performers out there might appreciate this. A lot of current theater technology came from the Baroque period. The, Tell me more. The system of moving sets on off stage came from the Baroque period. The use of pulleys in the theater, at least. Baroque period. They also had the phrase theatrum mundi, which meant the world is a stage. So the world suddenly became your stage. They could make plays suddenly became about everyday life. Isn't that a Shakespeare yeah. quote? Isn't, isn't Shakespeare credited for that? But you uh, know, he stole okay. a lot of writing. Shakespeare stole a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm just saying. That's very possible. What a jerk. He is like. Ryan over here is just telling me that uh, Shakespeare is like the Renaissance Thomas Edison. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell us more, Ryan. Uh, well, Thomas Edison claims to have invented things that he did not actually invent. Rather, he merely stole and filed the patents for them. Oh, boy. As we talked today in Mass Con with Dr. Shook, it's best to imagine Thomas Edison running around with a little stamp that says mine. He invented that, though. (laughs) I actually believe that. Uh, But on a more like serious note, I guess (laughs) I like I like Baroque music because it does have that kind of theatrical aspect to it. It is very uh, a lot of choirs sometimes fall into this thing where they think that it's only an a. oral thing like a, an audible people are only listening to them but you're also looking at the people who are singing and I feel like in Baroque they took that into account and they actually like put effort into making it a performance it's really when perfor- when the art of performance refined itself you're right during this time we also saw a lot of other advances in architecture and art during the Baroque, we saw the emphasis on light and dark and contrast and also unity. In architecture, we see columns coming back, that real kind of almost Romanesque style, and we saw domes coming back. They were part of that sense of perfection. Yeah, because they had unity. a lot of respect for Rome and Greece, like ancient Rome and Greece, and their, uh, their architecture, and they kind of just... Uh, Thomas Edison did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'd like to point out that I'm I'm, I'm going to say it right out. I'm no musical expert, but I do realize when I go, I see a lot of stage performances. I used to be big in theater that when I watch a musical or something, if it's not supported with good on-stage actions, then the music kind of loses some of its touch to the audience, I feel. You know, actually during the Baroque period, the composer we're going to be looking at a lot at tonight, Monteverdi, wrote the first real major opera. It's not the first opera, but one of the first and I think the oldest surviving opera right now. Uh, Leo Frio. Uh, we'll actually be looking at that next week. Hmm. Yeah, handing Kathleen the record over here. <laughs> Sorry, I got really interested. Um. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm getting my translations from tonight. Oh. So. <laughs> Whoops, here you go. <laughs> Thank you. But um, 
Yes, he did write the Leo Ferreira, and we're going to be looking at that next week. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at Monteverde, because, you know, this show focuses a lot on music and the history of it, especially right now going through this music through history. You know, ah, see, music, history. <laughs> Lovely how that intertwined, didn't it? <laughs> but we're going to be looking at that transition, and that, that opera in particular, because during this opera, we also saw they started using musicians in opera. So you had the orchestra start to develop. Well, this was, uh, I don't really remember the time period this started, but I know that originally in music, voices were viewed more as an in- an instrument rather than a solo thing. They were viewed more as something that could help, just like a violin or a cello or a percussion or anything like that. And around this time period or a little bit earlier, it started focusing a lot more on voices. Right. Well, before we get into Monteverdi tonight, we're going to take a look back on last week and one of our composers, Guillaume Dufay, and we're going to look at his Gloria in the trumpet style. Kathleen, do you want to read the translation for the piece we're about to hear? Uh, the... It's, it's Gloria. Yes. Ha-ha. Glory be to God in high. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. We praise thee, we bless thee, we worship thee, we glorify thee, we give thanks to thee for the great glory, O Lord God, Heavenly King, God the Father Almighty, O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, O Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, that takest away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Thou that takest away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sittest at the right hand of God, the Father, have mercy upon us. For thou only art holy, thou only art the Lord, thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, art most high in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Right. Anyone who is used to the high mass form would know this, I think, is the Sosum Corda. Sosum Corda? I think, I, I think that's where it's at in the mass. I went to an Episcopalian school, not a Catholic one. I'm not... (laughs) No, no. As an Episcopalian, that's why I know that one. Yeah, yeah. It's in communion. Well, then I obviously was not a good Episcopalian student. (laughs) (laughs) Well, remember, my other major is religion. So, you know, if I'm wrong, I probably should be chastised later for that. (laughs) But we're going to take a moment and look at this. And we're also going to open up the phone lines for anyone who wants to call in and talk to Chance and Ryan about their show coming up, ask questions about tonight, or give your thoughts on our transition to the Baroque period. The number to call is 479-979-1490. Again, that is 479-979-1490. And this is Gloria in the Trumpet Style by Guillaume Dufay.
That was Gloria in the Trumpet Style by Guillaume Dufay. And Kathleen, would you like to kind of introduce us to Claudio Monteverde? Uh, well, he was born around 1537, if I'm correct. But I might have mixed up a three with an eight, so it could have been 1587. Not really sure. Uh, so he started off... Uh, his dad was a surgeon, um, which in that period of time meant uh, lots of creepy stuff, uh, lots of grossness. <laughs> if you've ever seen Game of Thrones, uh, that's the grossness level we're talking about for surgeons. Um, and he grew up surrounded by that, and somehow he got interested into music. Uh, and he started off writing his first book of madrigals is about... 21 songs for about five voices. So he started off with a lot of songs for a small group of people. And so it was really beautiful. And I think after that, he expanded with more singers and less singers, playing around with like levels and uh, voice groupings. And he has nine volumes, nine books of madrigals, I'm pretty sure. It might be 11. Might be nine. A lot of books. <laughs> well, I know he had, when I was doing my research, I know when he was still working in the first position he was at, training as a church musician, he'd already had five. Yeah. So I would assume you're probably right with that nine. Yeah, because I know there was a ninth one. I know for sure, because it's, it's pretty well known. And he uh, he then became a priest or some sort of... No, he did become a priest. Yeah, yeah. it was a priest. Uh, and then he spent, like, the last year of his life, which was, like, 1627, 1637. Yeah, so he's probably born in 1587, actually. But anyways, he spent, like, the last year of his life completely sick, but he wrote two more madrigals, and then he died. And right. that's that's Monteverde. Right. So, like you said, he was a priest. He was also a gombist, which is comparable to the viola today. And a singer. Mm-hmm. You know, he said originally, like like you said, his father was a surgeon and a doctor. I think the book I read said amateur surgeon, so. And that sounds scary to me. Surgery, it, period, at that point, sounds scary. Um. Yeah. Basically, all it was was. Cut you until you bled it out? Yeah. Basically. Right. Um, yeah. When also looking at Monteverde, we see that he was taught by his local maestro of music at the Cathedral of Cremona, which is there in, I want to say it's in part of Italy. Yeah. I think I think he spent most of his time in Italy, uh, TBH. Right. He, that would be, I think it was either... A lot or most of his life. I know he died in Italy. He died in Venice. Yes. He was 76 when he died, and that was in 1643. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at some notes on Monteverde. His full name, BT Dubs, is Claudio Giovanni Antonio Monteverde. Yes, it's, which a, it's is a long name. Beautiful. So he was born in 1567. And died in 1643. So I was almost kind of close. Um, and he did have 
nine books of madrigals. Um, so it was nine? It was. It was indeed nine. Um, and he just, whew, he really had a lot of stuff. Because really the number of madrigals per book was about 20 or more. So multiply that by nine. <laughs> That's like almost 200 madrigals. That was a lot of what he spent his life doing. He actually wasn't a priest until 1632, which would Very have been about nine. Right, that was nine years before his death. Yeah. So he actually wasn't a priest for very long, and he, he came to it really, really late in life. Yeah. Wow. But he did a really great job. Uh, speaking of a lot of, I'm going to sidetrack from Monte Verde. Okay. There was one magical uh, writer, composer, um, Philippe or Philippus de Monti, um, and he is known as the person who had the most magicals. He wrote 1,100 magicals at least. That is 1,100. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you find that much time in your life to do that, but that's impressive. I, <laughs> you know, I'm still struggling just to write one piece that I've had on my head. <laughs> how, and I've been working on that one for two semesters now. I don't, wrapping my head around that, they, I, yeah. I can't wrap my head around that one very easily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's, it's just so impressive these people who uh, who do all of this like amazing stuff with music, who write all of these pieces and somehow make each and every one individual. I really don't get it because if you look at pop music today, pop music has basically the same like three chords right in progression. You've got one five one, one four five one, one five seven four one. Yeah. It's- and it's over and over and over again. Music in this time period wasn't like that. For someone who doesn't really like Baroque or classical music, they might listen to it and think it sounds the same. It's not. But it's not. <laughs> not at all. No, and that's what really started setting it apart from the music of the Renaissance and the music of the medieval period was that it became more it became more complex during the Baroque period you started to see the composers really start to begin to experiment with the different chord progressions and styles within music and different styles with one singular voice. Yeah. The next piece we have up on the show, which is by Claudio Monteverde, and this is a madrigal. You know, we kept saying we're going to look at madrigals on the show tonight. And I just want to point out, the last piece we'd listened to, you know, it was it was actually Gloria, not so recorded like I had been arguing with myself. <laughs> Just to just to get that one straight, but that could be considered a form of motet, which is a la- which is a religious work in Latin, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica's definition of it. But a madrigal would have been a more secular piece that could have been about anything. Normally, we see them about love. I know. I think every madrigal I've ever sang has been about love in some way, shape, or form. I think that's a, a theme throughout. Every single, any music period, any literary period, anything. It's, it always either relates back to love of 
like a, a another human being or love of God. Right. You can really tie anything to love. That's true. But the first piece up tonight is called Cormio. And the translation for this one becomes, Oh my heart, while I gaze on you, I am visibly transformed into you. Thus transformed, I breathe out my life in one sigh. O mortal beauty, of living beauty. For if I feel my heart, it is revived by you, and thus born by you. It's, it's a beautiful piece. And in it, I think that Monteverde really expresses his love for whoever this is that he finds so beautiful. Well, he had a wife, uh, and she died very, like, eight years after they were married. Right. They did get two sons. Yeah, He did have two sons. See, I didn't see the daughter in my research. That's because they wouldn't have mentioned her. (laughs) That's, yeah, you're, you're very right. Just like when you look at Bach, they don't mention if he had daughters. But I believe he did. Yeah, probably. I mean... Yeah, sexism in uh, in history. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> it's everywhere. It, well, it really is. It wasn't until the 20th century that women really started getting those equal rights. Or <laughs> rights at all. Like in music, they got any rights. If you were a singer in any period before the 20th century and you were a woman, you really didn't have many options other than what someone else told you to do. Right. Any, even in the beginning of the 20th century, it was still that way. Yeah. That's why I'm really surprised at singers like Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah. Who not only was a woman, but was a black woman. She, I mean, that's, the fact that she was able to not only be popular as a woman, but be popular as an African-American, not only within that race at the time, but among everyone. That's an astronomical feat. Yeah. This could be its own radio show topic. like, <laughs> it, And it will be. Uh, here towards the end of the semester, we'll get to that period, and Ella Fitzgerald will definitely come up. Good. Yeah. Maybe we'll bring you back on for that one. Holla. But, um, like with this piece, I it's Monteverdi really trying to show his affection for his wife, probably. I don't know. This might have been around the time of his wife, or it may have been a little before when he was still wooing her, still courting her. Like um, Wes said on the show whenever he came on Thursday, music plays out to emotions and can be used as a way to truly express love and affection for people in a way that's very clearly demonstrated between two people. I think music is one of the best ways to express love. I think that it's one of the best ways to express emotion in general. When I hear the uh, Ed Sheeran song, Thinking Out Loud, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure my heart explodes. Uh, and it's dangerous, so I don't listen to it anymore because love, heart exploding, death. No one can save you once your heart explodes. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> but here it is, the Cormio by Bonteverde. Thank you. 
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. You are listening to From the Concert Hall, here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello and welcome back to From the Concert Hall. This week we are talking about madrigals and the early music of the Baroque, looking specifically at Claudio Monteverde. With me this week I have got Kathleen Mowry. Kathleen, say hi. Hi. My normal co-host Zachary is out this week. He was feeling a little under the weather this weekend and needed to take a night off, so of course we need to grant that to him. It's always better to be well than to come to work sick. Agreed. Yeah. So, Kathleen, would you like us to int- would you like to introduce us or the, the listeners who are just now coming onto the show a bit more about Monteverde again? So, in case they missed it before, they've got it now. Quick rundown. Sure. Uh, Monteverde was born in 1567. He died in 1643. He grew up. His father was a surgeon, an amateur surgeon, a doctor. Um, and he had five siblings, somehow fell in love with music, wrote nine books of madrigals, and in the last nine years of his life, he became a uh, Roman Catholic priest, and then wrote two more madrigals in his last year of life. Right. He also was very big at opera and started introducing the first forms of opera, well, the first major forms of it. Next week, we'll be looking at the um, El Orfeo, which is one of the earliest um, operas we have that is still written. It's by him, and it really shows that distinction into the Baroque period. And it's so famous. It is. It really is. And then we also will look later at later on in the show, at the end of his life, he wrote... Um, the Coronation of Popea, which is about the Emperor Nero, the Roman Emperor Nero. And Who was crazy. Right. If no one knows that story, <laughs> he, he huh. is infamous for burning down Rome while laughing and playing the fiddle as he watched. Yeah, the only person that compares to Nero is uh, Caligula in like seriousness of complete awfulness. A uh, fun fact about Nero, um, and this is a religious thing, uh, a lot of historians think that Nero's, there's a, a numerical system that makes Nero's name mean 666. Uh, and really? He, yeah, and he persecuted a lot of Christians during his, his rule. And so a lot of people think that uh, revelations might refer partially to him. And that's pretty crazy. You know, I could see that, especially at the end of the book where it's talking about casting people off into this lake of fire. Lake of fire could literally be the image of Rome burning. Yeah. It, it, it's pretty pretty intense stuff. I'm not a, a would, historical scholar or anything, so... I can't if, really comment, but... <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think it would fit the religious timeline, actually, for the period. Yeah. So it's very possible. The next piece we're going to look at by Monteverde tonight is the piece called Sicio Viori 
Miore. And in English, the magical piece translates to, Thus could I die, now that I kiss, love, the beautiful mouth of my dear heart. O oh dear, sweet tongue, grant me enough feeling that I may be extinguished with the sweetness of the be beast. Ah, my life lasts until I may finally come to the white blossom of your lips. Ah, lips and kisses, ah, tongue, turn to tell how I could die. Oh. You know, it, it sounds really morbid. But I think it goes. I think the message of that song goes a bit deeper than just the surface, the surface meaning there. It still sounds pretty morbid to me. <laughs> <laughs> it does, and the song, this magical when it starts out, it's it's almost a slow. It's both slow and fast. It goes back and forth between the two styles. I'm and, interested to hear how, because it lyrics play a big role in a song, but. You get a different feeling when you're hearing the music and not just the lyrics, and it gives you the real emotion. Right. But I think when looking at this song, maybe we're to think, not necessarily in the literal sense, but maybe he loves her so much that he would die for his wife. Maybe this is at the end of her life or right after she has left him, right after she's passed. It may be possible to look at it that way. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know how much they married for love in this time period, but based on the songs he composed... I think love played th a very big part in it. I think it definitely did. Um, and I think that one thing about this time period for writing and poetry also is that people said a lot of stuff like that, like... I would die for you. I would go all over the world to the end of the earth to be with you. They were really romantic. <laughs> they were... Chivalry was a thing still. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of... It's almost sad that it's not as big a thing as it was back then. But I, I think this is really maybe right after his wife's death. She's died. Maybe it's that I could either... I, I should have been the one who died. I don't know. Maybe it's something like that. Or it could also be right after they've been married, right after the honeymoon stage, is I love you so much I would die for you. You mean this much to me. Well, do we Does it? Do we know when this was written? Um, I did not find a date for this piece, no. Yeah, that's how it is with a lot of, a lot of music from this time period. You can't necessarily always put a date on it, and if there is, it's not always necessarily... Well. <laughs> I can, I can tell you it's between 1567 and 1643. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was really specific. So that 76-year time span there, <laughs> it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Well, she died in 1607, so if it were around that period, then that definitely would have been it. It would have been her death. But if this was a piece that was later on in his life. Right. Do we know how long they were married? I never found a marriage date for them. I haven't either. Um, I know there were. I know they really kept up with baptismal dates, birth dates, death dates. Uh, yeah. But yeah, they I really weren't specific back then. I've never come across a marriage date. No, no, because marriage was important, but not as important as 
Yeah. Yeah. The religious, <laughs> because I mean, the, the process of baptism was actually giving your baby a name. Yeah. So, of course, that would have been an important date. Death, of course. And, you know, actually birth and baptism, sometimes they're considered the same date. We might actually not know when someone was really born. It, uh, according to a source mm-hmm. that I've just found, uh, he was married in 1599, and his wife was a court singer. I, I did know she yeah. was a court singer. So, they were married for eight years. Yeah. I'm thinking this might have been either right in the very beginning or at the end. Yeah. The way these words really come out, they're just so... Pesky, I think is the right word. Or maybe finicky in how they're worded. That It really is either very beginning or very end. Yeah. Because I don't see... We never see him with another love after that. No. Or before that. Which is kind of romantic, I have to say. I like the idea that everybody has one perfect person for them. Though I also believe that everybody has the chance to find love again. It's confusing. I don't know what love is, but... (laughs) And even then, it was still that same sense. Yeah. Everyone can find that true love, but they can also find love again. I mean, look at Henry VIII back in England. Of Uh, course, I don't know if this was really love for him. I think it was more he wanted that son. He really wanted that son. I mean, six wives? Uh, That he, like, killed all of them. Um, Yeah. Except for Catherine. I'm thinking maybe that was a bad example. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) That that was a bad example on my part. But I I do agree that people can definitely find love again, but I also find it romantic that he never did. Does that sound mean? (laughs) Um, I don't know. He he did a lot of terrible things. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. We're talking about Monteverdi. Yeah, we're talking about Monteverdi. I was still on the topic of Henry VIII. Henry VIII is, is, yes, uh, he's awful. Uh, Let's just take a moment to appreciate how awful he was. Going back to Monteverdi, I think you're right. I think it is very romantic that he didn't find someone else. It shows that he, I think he truly believed that was his one love in life. Yeah. So maybe when the people hear this song, they'll, they'll feel that too. And listening to it, they'll they'll hear the contrast between joyous and contemplative. So here it is: the CTO Vieri Morir.
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from the University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. If you're just joining us, you're catching the very tail end of our show. It's It's been a very interesting show tonight as we looked at the music of the Madrigals, Claudio Monteverde, and touched back on Guillaume Dufay from the Renaissance period, the very early Renaissance period. With me tonight, I've got Kathleen Mowry. Some of you may remember her from a few weeks back. We brought her on and had her in the studio and did a lot of recordings of her singing and really touch base on her work as a, a concert artist. Kathleen, you've been listening to the Madrigals all night. Yes. Being someone who sings, and you know, also we sing together a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Every day almost. Chamber singers. Right. What, when you listen to this style of music, what comes to your mind? What, what, comes, to, what comes to mind? Well, um, what I really like about Madrigals is that a lot of them are small groups. And I've always found that small groups, although it's harder to sing in a small group because you have more, you can hear more of the individual's voice. Right. Um, it just sounds so beautiful when they blend together. And what I love about the Madrigals is that they're also really emotional. And I think that when you combine those two aspects, it just makes for really beautiful music you know as a singer i think they're challenging oh Uh, yeah yeah i'm glad you think so also because (laughs) i was about to feel really alone (laughs) nope um for okay i'm an alto so right uh (laughs) for some parts of baroque music the alto line is pretty basic like you can tell where the harmony is going right but for others it's just real crazy um you really never know what you're gonna get with an alto line in a madrigal um and so sometimes i find it challenging and sometimes i think that i would rather be a soprano (laughs) but for the most part yes very challenging right and I, like I say, I agree. I fully agree. It's very challenging, especially when you've got parts moving everywhere and you're still trying to hear yourself. You're a bass, aren't to, you? Yeah. Yeah. See. <laughs> yeah. Syncopated <laughs> rhythm today was getting to me. <laughs> Basses have to do so much jumping around. They have to jump fifths. They have to jump fourths. They just jump all over the place. You you really perfect that five four jump. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's all you do, but it it's really always is. kind of awkward and... You know, it's kind of sad. I almost feel like I don't quite know how to move down whole steps or half steps sometimes. <laughs> I feel like once you get to a point where you've sung so many leaps, it it is hard to just go down 
by yeah a whole a whole note. That's that's why I like being an alto and going <laughs> from one note up by ones and down by ones. Sometimes, occasionally a two, oh, maybe a whoa, three whoa, if whoa. they're getting really crazy. Well, let's calm down, everybody. <laughs> just calm down. Right. I mean, the the different parts of the music moved tremendously differently within the staff, mm-hmm. but. Like you said before, the magical music is a very intimate group. It's usually only yes. between one and eight people, and generally, most generally, it's two to six. And that's amazing. Right. And you're right. It does single you out. Your voice will not be unheard. Uh, which is, um, I actually, choir music, one of the things that is really important is being able to know how to blend your voice with other voices. Because if right. you stand out... You're you're taking away from the group as a whole, from the harmonies. And that's one thing that I've had trouble with because I'm a really loud singer, even when I don't <laughs> want to be. Uh, we were recording the... Uh, the um, Alma Mater? The Alma Mater, yes. we The chamber singers were recording the Alma Mater, and uh, we were recording it, and we played it back, and someone goes, Katie, I can hear you. And everybody's like, yeah, we can hear Katie. Kathleen, Kathleen. We can hear you. So we did it again, and I lowered my voice. Still, everybody could pick me out. What was it? Two or three steps backwards you had to make? I I took two or three steps backwards, and on the last run, on the second to last run, people could still hear me, so the last run I just didn't sing. Oh. <laughs> I, it, it's, every singer has their challenges, and that happens to be mine that I'm still mastering. I'm uh, still working on it. Well, you spent so much time as a solo artist, it would make sense that that's the hard thing. Also, I've spent a lot of time in alto sections that don't have as many powerhouse altos as we do. Right. We have so many altos. We don't have so many altos. We only have four altos. But we have the We're altos we have. We're very competent. We are very strong. And so none of us really, we, we've all had to step up before and sing louder Right, uh, and now we all have to take a step back and not sing so loud because we have each other now. But so it's a good, it, it's it's a positive thing, but it's difficult. <laughs> I, you know, it is difficult. But when I look at this Baroque music, I think the intimacy is what made it beautiful. Oh, definitely. And I think that's what really helped to make it so popular today, at least. I know it was very popular back then, but still today it's a very popular form of music that a lot of modern music has grown from. The contrasting, the different styles within the Baroque, a lot of modern music grew from, and we see it growing from there. You know, it's been it's been a wonderful evening looking at the Madrigals, and next week, like I said, we're looking at Leo Freo, but Kathleen, would you like, do you have any parting words for anyone out there who's might be interested in trying their hand in Baroque music madrigals, or maybe they already do? Ooh, uh, if you are getting involved in madrigals, um, you just really gotta focus. You you really have to practice with this because with a lot of modern music, uh, you can improv notes. You can go. You, you can improv certain grace notes. You can go crazy. But the further back you get in time, the more 
precise. Precise, yes, precise. The more accurate you have to be. And definitely with madrigals, with so few voices, you cannot afford to 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 muck it up, to to make it to to make your part right. Some sort of the way you act. The way the music is designed, you you can't just pick it out in the chord and hope it works. Nope, because there are only so many people, and only so many people are singing so many notes in the chord, and if you're the only person singing the third of the chord... And you decide to sing a fifth with someone else. Then there's no third of the chord, and then it's not a chord. You've because got that that's not how music works. <laughs> <laughs> that's just not how music works. So that's, well, my, that's that, my advice. That's not how music works anymore. You gotta uh, remember. Whoa, let's not go there. Let's let's not do this. Oh, uh, we are not in musicianship class right now, Corbin. I know, I know, I know. Just you had to remind people of the work we did with the Renaissance. <sighs> the one five system. Yeah. But again, I just love to thank you for coming on to the show tonight. Send, you know, a get well to Zach who's probably listening at home. Like we had mentioned earlier. Manoa Kohosak has been under the weather this weekend and really needed a night off to finish recuperating. But before we go, I would like to remind everyone that the Clarksville Lion Club is having a pancake breakfast Tuesday, March 31st, at the Clarksville First United Methodist Church. They're serving from 6.30 in the morning to 12 in the afternoon, and right now the price is $5 a person or $3 for anyone 12 and under. And this is all you can eat. And just... For some added info, if you have a group of over six or more, or you order over six or more things, they'll deliver it. Uh, this sounds like a college student's dream. Doesn't it? Especially the all-you-can-eat. That sounds like breakfast and lunch to me, because they're still going to be serving at 1230. Oh, yeah. So. I'm doing this. The number to call is 979-2260. That is 479-979-2260. Thank you all again for tuning in. This was from the concert hall. And to play us out this week, we have Opone Jesus, which is a precursor into Lent, which will be starting tomorrow with Ash Wednesday. And in it, the translation becomes, Oh good Jesus, have mercy on us, for you have created us and redeemed us with your most precious blood. You know, the most... The redemption came with Easter, but I think the way this piece really plays out, it's a good reminder to be penitent through Lent. So enjoy. I hope everyone has a great rest of their Mardi Gras and Fat Tuesday and is able to fulfill their Lenten goals all through these next 40 days. So, again, good night, and thank you all again. This has been another episode of From the Concert Hall. Thank you.